Well, hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In today's podcast, we are starting into a brand new series of sermons called In Transit. Now, being in transit means that you're on the move or that you're just passing through. Or if you trace the word back to its Latin origin, it means that you're going across. So in this series, we're going to be exploring biblical stories about people who are in transit. And we're going to see what we can learn from their experiences that can help us face transitions in our lives too. And we're going to get started right now by exploring the story of Daniel. So this morning we're starting into a new series of sermons called In Transit. Now being in transit means you're on the move or you're passing through or if you trace the word back to its original Latin origin, it means that you're going across. So to help you get in the right mindset for the series of sermons, I want you to imagine that you're going to go on a trip. Imagine that you're going to go on a trip. Okay, what's the first thing that you're going to do once you decide that you're going to go on a trip? Well, the first thing that I'm going to decide is where I'm going. And for this little imaginary trip that we're planning, we're just going to say that we're going to go to the beach along the Florida coast together, okay? So take a second and imagine what it would be like to take a trip to the, uh, the, to the beach along the Florida coast. Take it in for just a second. Maybe you can picture yourself stretching out in one of those long, comfy beach chairs with your toes sinking down into the sand. Maybe you can imagine yourself sipping on one of those fancy tropical drinks with a little umbrella sticking out of the top of it. But don't get too carried away in imagining what the trip is going to be like. I mean, we just decided we're going there. There's still a whole lot of planning, a whole lot of things that we have to do before we can take this trip. So... After you decide where you're going to go on a trip, what's the next thing that you do? Well, you probably got to figure out when you're going, but, you know, again, this is an imaginary trip. We don't have to worry about the dates. But the next thing that you're going to do, or the next thing that I'm going to do when I decide I'm going to take a trip, is I'm going to pull out either my computer or my cell phone, or I'm going to grab my tablet, and I'm going to start doing a little bit of research on the place that I'm going to. I'm going to start doing a little bit of research, and I'm going to start looking into the hotels that are down there. And I'm going to see who has the best reviews for the lowest prices, and then I'm going to book a room. And since I know that there is no way that I'm going to waste part of my vacation driving all the way down to Florida, I'm going to hop on over to Google Flights, and I'm going to see if I can book some airfare that will get me there. Then I might spend a little bit of time looking into what restaurants are around, places that I might like to eat, or maybe I'll see if there are any shops that are close by that I might like to go and shop at, or I might see if there is a place where I can take my family to play a little bit of miniature golf, because the Shell family, when we go on vacation, we enjoy playing a little bit of miniature golf. And when all of that planning is finished, when the trip is just a day or two away, That's when it's time to really prepare for the trip. And that means that it's time to go into the closet and dig out the suitcases and start getting packed. And since for this imaginary trip we're going down to the beach, we're going to want to make sure that we pack a few things along with us. We're going to want to make sure that we pack some shorts to wear because if it's hot here, it's going to be even hotter along the beach. And maybe some t-shirts or some tank tops to wear. And of course, we'll want to remember to bring along a swimsuit to enjoy the oceans and some sunscreen to avoid getting a burn. And then you can't forget to pack the flip-flops that you wear to the beach and some sunglasses to keep the glare out of your eye. And then 
There are just those odds and ends, and there are plenty of them that you always have to pack whenever you go on a trip. You have to pack your shampoo and your deodorant and whatever other toiletries you intend to bring along with you. In this day and age, you've got to pack a charger for your cell phone at the very least to keep that phone up and running all week long. And if you're anything like me, you're also going to want to bring along a book or two in your carry-on bag to give you something to read while you're sitting in the airport waiting for your plane to depart or while you're sitting on the beach enjoying a relaxing afternoon. And then, after you've done all of those things, after you've picked where you're going and you know when you're going to do it, and you've looked into all of the hotels and restaurants and shops, and you've actually packed your suitcase and you're ready to go, after you've done all of these things, well, the next thing is you've got to get going. It's time to pass through. You can finally be in transit. And this is the point that we as a church find ourselves in right now. Back in November of 2017, our church had to make that difficult decision to begin a new journey together. We decided that for us to continue to follow God's calling for us as a church, that we needed to sell our current property, and we needed to relocate into a new place. So that's when we made the decision to take this trip. We just had no idea when the days would finally come. And since we made that decision, there has been a whole lot of planning, a whole lot of preparation that we've been doing around this place. But now the time is at hand for us to get going, to pass through, to move on to the next phase of our journey as a congregation. It's time for us to be in transit. But before we get going, there's still a few things that we need to do to prepare ourselves for whatever journey and trip lies ahead for us. Because if I've learned one thing in my life from all of the trips that I've taken over the years, it's this. There's no such thing as a perfect trip. There's no such thing as a perfect trip. It does not matter how much time you spend planning, there's no such thing as a perfect trip. It doesn't matter how long you have to get ready for a trip. There's still no such thing as a perfect trip. It doesn't matter how many to-do lists you make or even if you remember to check them twice, there is no such thing as a perfect trip. I have been on trips where my luggage got lost and didn't show up in the airport for a few days after I got back home. I've been on trips where I've got a flat tire in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night and had to change a tire to put a spare on in the pitch black without even a flashlight to help me out. I've had trips where I've lost a phone charger or forgot to pack deodorant, and thankfully Disney sells that when you get there. And I've had trips where I've had to deal with Hannah throwing temper tantrums when she's misplaced one of her favorite toys. So I have no problem saying this to you this morning, that things aren't going to go perfectly for us while we're in transit either. Our trip is not going to be a perfect trip, and that's okay. But we need to prepare ourselves for whatever may happen along the way. We need to get ready for whatever is going to come along as we transition out of this building and into wherever it is that God wants us to go next. And to help us get ready, I want to spend our time together over the next few weeks taking a closer look at a few stories in the Bible. Stories in the Bible that take place while people are in a state of transit. 
and I want to see what we can learn from them and their experiences that can help us. And we're going to start this morning with the story of Daniel. So if you will, go ahead and grab your Bible and start turning to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And while you're finding Daniel chapter 6, I'm going to share a couple of verses from earlier in the book that help set the stage for what we're going to be reading this morning. So Daniel chapter 6 for you, and I'm going to share a couple of verses from the very beginning of the book. Here's what it says, just to set that stage. In the third year of the rule of Judah's king Jehoiakim, Babylon's king Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and he attacked it. The Lord handed Judah's king Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, in these couple of verses, you, you start getting a picture of what's happening. Israel, the, the kingdom of Judah, is invaded by Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar conquers Israel conquers Judah, conquers the city of Jerusalem. And whenever King Nebuchadnezzar uh, invades a country, whenever he conquers and defeats another country, he always wants to demonstrate his dominance over that nation. And the way that he commonly went about asserting his dominance, showing that he really was in charge, is that Nebuchadnezzar would take the wisest men and the most beautiful women in the entire land, and he would take them as captives from the place where they lived. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3, we're going to see that that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar does when he conquers the land of Judah. It says, Nebuchadnezzar instructed his highest official, Ashpenaz, to choose royal descendants and members of the ruling class from the Israelites, good-looking young men without defects, skilled in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, conversant with learning, and capable of serving in the king's palace. Ashpenaz was to teach them for three years, so at the end of that time, they would serve before the king. And among these young men from the Judeans was Daniel. So like I said just a minute ago, these couple of verses here, they set the stage for what's going to happen in most of the book of Daniel. And in these verses, we learn that the nation that Daniel was from was conquered by an outside empire, and that Daniel is then hauled off carried away from his home. And he was carried away from his home so that someday he would serve the empire and the king that just conquered his people. So I think as we start exploring the story of Daniel together, it's pretty safe to say that Daniel was in the midst of a transition. His life was in transit. He was hauled away from his home, essentially taken as a prisoner of war, and he had no idea what the future had in store for him. But Daniel, but while Daniel was in transit, he made a commitment that would shape his future, and ours too. While Daniel was in transit, he committed to follow God. Daniel committed to follow God. Daniel committed himself to follow God even while in this stage of transition. And there's a big reason why Daniel does this. There's a big reason why Daniel commits himself to follow God that's lying just underneath the surface of the story that we're so familiar with. But it's something that most of us, it's something that we easily miss out on because if we're being honest, most of us don't know a whole lot about the history of Israel. 
But there's something extremely important that takes place in Israel's history about 120 years before this story takes place that helps Daniel make his decision that he is going to commit himself to following God. You see, about 120 years before the Babylonian Empire and King Nebuchadnezzar invaded the part of Israel where Daniel lives, another empire invaded the northern part of Israel. This empire, the Assyrian Empire, came and they did essentially the same thing that the Babylonians did. They defeated the Israelites, and to show their dominance, they took prisoners of war. And they exiled these prisoners throughout their entire empire. But unlike Daniel, these exiles didn't commit themselves to follow God. And they seem to have lost their faith in God somewhere along the way. And rather than standing out inside of this empire that they were exiled in, these people decided to give in. They were going to assimilate into their new nation. And when they made that decision to assimilate into this new nation, their faith was lost. And their faith was not just lost to them. Their faith was lost to the entire world. So 120 years later, when Daniel finds himself living in exile, he knew. He knew that he had to keep his faith. He knew that he had to trust in God. Or he knew that his entire faith, his entire religion, might be lost to the world too. Or to put it in another way for you, Daniel knew that if he didn't keep his faith, there would be no faith left to be kept. Daniel knew that if he didn't keep his faith, then there would be no faith left to be kept for anyone. So Daniel made the commitment, made the commitment to follow God no matter what happened while he was in transit. And we see how this commitment plays out in Daniel chapter 6. But before we start reading in Daniel chapter 6, there's one more bit of history that I just need to point out to you to avoid a little confusion here. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is no longer serving King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, the empire that invaded his country and took him as a captive in chapter 1, because Daniel is now serving Persia and their king, Darius, because the Persian empire had invaded the Babylonian empire and conquered them. Okay? But... Let's get back into Daniel's story specifically and see how his commitment to follow God plays out. We're going to start reading in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. That's what it says. Darius decided to appoint 120 chief administrators throughout his kingdom and to set over them three main officers to whom they would report so that the king wouldn't have to be bothered with too much. One of these main officers was Daniel. Because of his extraordinary spirit, Daniel soon surpassed the other officers and the other chief administrators, so much so that the king had plans to set him over the entire kingdom. All right, in those three verses, it seems like things are going pretty well for Daniel, right? He has been appointed by King Darius as one of the main officers in the entire kingdom, and he is doing so well that Darius is planning on putting Daniel in charge of his entire empire. So Daniel's commitment to follow God that he made so early on during his transition was done him pretty well up to this point. But this isn't the end of Daniel's story. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, this is what we read. 
as a result, as a result of Daniel rising in status and the king deciding he was going to promote him to be in charge of the entire empire, as a result of this, the other officers, the other officers and the other chief administrators, they tried to find some problem with Daniel's work for the king. But they couldn't find any problem or any corruption at all because Daniel was trustworthy. He wasn't guilty of any negligence or any corruption. So these men said, we won't find any fault in Daniel unless we can find something to use against him from his religious practice. So the other advisors, the other officers, are jealous of Daniel's success. They're jealous of Daniel, and they decide that they want to do something about this. If Daniel is going to be appointed to be the king's right-hand man in charge of the entire empire, they don't want Daniel to raise to the rank, so they're going to do something to stop it. But they know that Daniel hasn't done anything wrong. They know that Daniel is above reproach. So the only thing that these other officials and administrators can think to do is to use Daniel's commitment to follow God against him. So these advisors cook up a plan. They're going to convince King Darius to issue a royal decree that no one, no one in the entire empire is allowed to pray to or to worship any god or any human being except for King Darius. But that royal edict, they knew that royal edict wasn't going to change Daniel's commitment to God. So as soon as the edict is signed, Daniel, he goes home and he does exactly what the, the other leaders, the other advisors, the other officials expected him to do. Daniel goes home, he opens his windows wide, and he starts praying, and he starts praising his God. And of course, the other officers knew that Daniel wouldn't obey this royal edict, so they were just sitting there, waiting to pounce. And as soon as Daniel started praying, that's exactly what they did. The other officers pounce. They drag Daniel before King Darius, and they tell the king that Daniel has violated his royal edict. And then they force the king's hand. They force him to take action, telling him that the edict that he signed said that anyone and everyone who worshipped anyone or anything besides King Darius would be punished by being thrown into a pit with lions. Now we'll jump back into Daniel chapter 6. And we'll see what happens next. We'll pick back up in verse 14. That's what it says. When the king heard this report, he was very unhappy. He decided to rescue Daniel and do everything that he could to save Daniel before the sun went down. But these men, they all ganged up together and they came to the king and they said, You must realize, your majesty, that the law of, of Medea and Persia, including every law and edict the king has issued, cannot be changed. So the king gives his order. And they brought Daniel, and they hurled him into the pit of lions. The king said to Daniel, Your God, the one that you serve so consistently, will rescue you. A single stone was brought, and it was placed over the entrance to the pit. And the king sealed it with his own ring and with the rings of his princess, so that Daniel's situation could not be changed. The king went home to his palace, and he fasted throughout the night. No pleasures were brought to him, and he couldn't even sleep. At dawn, at the first sign of light, the king rose and he rushed to the lion's pit. And as he approached it, he called out to Daniel, worried, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, the one that you serve so consistently, was he able to rescue you from these lions? Then Daniel answered the king, 
Long live the king. My God sent his messenger who shut the lion's mouths. They haven't touched me because I was judged innocent before my God. I haven't done anything wrong to you either, your majesty. The king was thrilled, and he commanded that Daniel be brought up out of the pit, and Daniel was lifted out. Not a scratch was found on him because he trusted in his God. Skipping down to verse 25, it says, Then King Darius wrote this following decree. To all the peoples, all the nations, all the languages inhabiting the entire earth, I wish you much peace. I now issue this command in every region of my kingdom. All people must fear and revere Daniel's God because he is the living God. God stands firm forever. His kingship is indestructible. God's rule will last until the end of time. He is rescuer and savior. God performs signs and miracles in heaven and on earth. And here's the proof. He rescued Daniel from the lion's power. I want to read those last couple of verses for you again. And I want to read these for you again because they are so important. Now remember, after Daniel came out of the lion's den, King Darius, King Darius, the guy who just a few verses earlier issued a decree, an edict, saying that he was the only one in the entire empire that was worthy of worship. He said this about God. He is the living God. God stands firm forever. His kingship is indestructible. God's rule will last until the end of time. He is a rescuer and a savior. God performs signs and miracles in heaven and on earth, and here's the proof. He rescued Daniel from the lion's power. We need to remember, remember the same words that Darius spoke while we're in our time of transition. Our God is a living God. Our God stands firm. Our God rules over a kingdom that is indestructible and will stand forever. Our God is our rescuer. Our God is our Savior. Our God can do whatever He so chooses to do. And Daniel, Daniel knew that from the beginning of his transition. From the beginning of his journey, Daniel knew who God was and is. Even when Daniel was being hauled away from his home by this enemy army, he knew who God is. And Daniel knew that if he was faithful to God, that God would be faithful to him. And that same thing is true for us. As we go through this journey, this transition together, as we work toward relocating our church, if we remain faithful to God, then God will remain faithful to us. If we remain faithful to God, then God will remain faithful to us. And if God is for us, it does not matter what we're going to run into along the way in this journey. It doesn't matter how many lions we may face. If God is for us, then there's nothing, nothing that can stand in our way. We'll make it. We'll make it to wherever it is that God wants us to be. And just like Daniel's commitment 
to follow God, inspired King Darius, someone who once thought he was the only one worthy of worship. And if, it, if, if Daniel's faith could inspire that guy to believe in God, then our faith is going to inspire other people in our journey too. Our story is going to help other people commit to follow God too. But we have to be faithful to God. We have to commit to following God no matter what may come up along the way. And trust that if we're faithful to God, God's going to be faithful to us too. Let's pray together. God, this morning we're thankful for the story of Daniel. God, throughout all of the transitions that Daniel faced in his life, as he was part of a nation that was defeated, as he was hauled away into captivity, as his captors were conquered by someone else, Daniel made the commitment that he would follow you no matter what. And Daniel's commitment to follow you didn't mean that his life was perfect. It didn't mean that his transition was easy, God. He faced such difficult circumstances. His faith led him to be thrown into that lion's den. But God, Daniel remained faithful to you, and you remained faithful to him. So God, let us be inspired by his faith. No matter what lions we may face along our journey, our transition, may we remain faithful to you trusting that you will be faithful to us, that you will guide us along the way, and that you will use our faith in our story to lead other people to follow you too. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and thanks for listening to this week's sermon podcast. I hope that no matter what transitions you may be facing in your life, that you have been inspired to have a faith like Daniel's, and that you'll commit yourself to following God no matter what. Now, next week, we're going to be continuing this sermon series by exploring the story of Abraham, and we'll see what his story has to tell us about making sure that we're headed to where God wants us to be, whenever we find ourselves in transit. That episode will drop next Tuesday, and if you subscribe to our podcast, it will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And before I go, I just want to remind you of something that we learn in the book of James. In the book of James, we're told that we're not supposed to be only hearers of the word, we're also supposed to be doers. So let me encourage you to go out this week and be a doer of what you've just heard. Go out and live with a faith like Daniel's, and we'll see you back here next week for another sermon podcast.